HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are so happy to be sitting down with Brad Metzger, founder of of BMRS Hospitality Recruitment and Placement in the LA Chef Conference, which is coming up on October 30th. We have a link to ticket information and to information about the event in the episode write-up. He shares with us some stories about his time working at the illustrious Spago when he was 16, his shift into the chef placement business, and what people could expect panel-wise and vibe-wise at the upcoming LA Chef Con. He also talks about his love for reggae and has put together a special reggae playlist for Snacky Tunes. You can find a link for that in the bio. And then we're going back into the archives. We're talking 10 years when the quartet Bad Girlfriends stopped by the studio, talked about their eating habits on tour, and performed songs from their first self-titled EP. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
thanks for stopping by Snacky Tunes. It's always so nice to meet someone at Industry LA and then connect and have them on the show. So shout out to uh, Andy and the whole team over there for making this connection. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. Been listening to your show for years. I it's mean, an honor. Big I, honor. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. And we're uh, excited because we're about a little over a month out from the LA Chef Conference, which we're going to be talking about. Um, man, what I loved about reading about you is your lifelong dedication to the LA restaurant scene. And listen, I'll be the first to admit, like, I didn't really start paying attention until maybe Animal popped up 15 years ago, but you've been in the mix for 40 years, right? Like, like a long time. Yeah, well, even before that, I was working uh, about 43 years ago, started working catering, massive catering functions for big Hollywood parties in L.A. My parents had a connection to this company called Parties Plus, and me and my my best friend, Sean Fatimi, since kindergarten, can still call him my best friend. We started working uh, before we could drive. My mom had to drive us to these huge Hollywood parties. Would would you ask mom to drop you off down the street so you could look cool walking into no, the party? No, it was fine. It was fine. I, I didn't I didn't know any better at the time, but I'll tell you, man, we ate really well at these parties. Yeah, I mean, I would say when I was young and got into food, I remember being pretty skint and sitting backstage at a cooking show eating lobster salad out of like a giant uh, like paint bucket of like forty mm-hmm. gallons worth of stuff, and I was like, oh, this is better than the day old bagel. I've been, yeah. I've been eating. The, I mean, the food that I, I was always super passionate about food, but working those parties and t- basically being paid to mm. eat the most amazing food. Now, be it all leftovers from the party, but it was still absolutely incredible. Yeah. We could eat whatever we want. The people were beautiful to look at. And so what? I had to carry ice, you know, ice all over the place for the night. Big deal. I was yeah. happy. Yeah. And you got to be around just like there was – more of a divide back then I felt like between like the higher echelons of like Hollywood and catering and and these like big types in their art today I think it mixes maybe a little bit more um and probably probably I would say your time at Spago you must have seen some stuff especially being a teenager being in the kitchens there what do you remember from your time as a teenager working in those kitchens yeah that was unreal so that was when I was 16 crazy um, I worked a full summer at the original Spago on Sunset. And I was there during the daytime doing prep. Uh, they taught me how to bake the bread. Mm. That was Nancy Silverton's original recipe. Mm-hmm. And that was right out of the wood-burning oven. We did it in the wood-burning oven there. And I chopped tomatoes, and I drove the Spago van down to Chino Farms to pick up vegetables and to the LAX to pick up fish that was flown in from Japan or wherever it was coming in. Um yeah, I mean, just the what I remember was just the the level of quality and precision and mm. caring was like incredible. It was the passion for the food that everyone had was amazing. You know, it was top notch, especially wow. during a time when that wasn't always a given that passion and dedication that from scratch that sourcing the best ingredients which now is you know like oh yeah okay well what else are you doing but back then it must have been uh eye-opening and and i imagine it was life-changing about your relationship with food 
It was. No, it really was. That set me on my course. You know, that that solidified it. I had the passion and interest, mm. but that just fucking solidified it, you know. Um, but it was also about the hospitality, too. You know, like like mm. I said, I was there during the daytime mostly, but I wanted to just stick, stick around many nights and just see what they did. And the attention to, to detail and the hospitality from the front of the house and how they ran things was just, you know, it's like nothing like I've ever seen in a restaurant. And I had been to restaurants as a customer, but to see, to see what they did there was magical in the floor, you know? And you stuck around the LA scene pretty much your whole cooking career. What kept you there? And what was the scene like then and I know you shouted out your best friend from kindergarten, so I'm assuming there's probably some people that you're in touch with from back in your early days in your LA career that you're still friends with today. Well, a lot of them I work with now, you know, as a client, you know, relationship. Um, I mean, so I uh, I went to college and then I came back and I um, I started working for Wolfgang Puck again and opened Granita and Malibu. So that was his his restaurant in Malibu called Granita, and I was there for the opening. And actually, I was a line cook, uh, or excuse me, I was a food runner, and um, Josiah Citrin was on the fryer. Shout out. And um, Mark Vetri was on the pasta station. Saw him this yeah. weekend. Love seeing yeah, that Yeah, me guy. too, me yeah. too, yeah. So, you know, it, it, yeah, it definitely, definitely goes way back. And I'm still friend, friendly with a lot of those people and a lot of people that I've worked with. Um, yeah. I mean... I know that the the food scene was exploding at the time, but the LA music scene was also just coming into its own during that era. And I know that music was a big part of your life and you were doing a lot of uh, show reviews and album reviews. How are you balancing that, you know, working the late nights, going to shows? How involved are you with the local music scene on top of the food scene? Well, so mainly my, we're going to, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into all that, but I'm a major reggae fan and mm-hmm. I have covered reggae music since college when a good friend of mine who was the editor got me involved saying, Brad, you are so passionate and knowledgeable about reggae music. You need to cover it for the UC Santa Barbara newspaper. I'm like, why not? You know, so I did. Sure. And I, and I kept doing that for many, many years um, as a hobby, you know, but at the time you're talking about when I had come back from college to mm-hmm. LA. So I was like 20, you know, 22 years old at that point in time, you're right. The music scene in LA was exploding and it was the underground yeah. club scene. And it was really, really happening and really fun. And, you know, the techno and the house music. Um, so I actually started covering that scene for another magazine called herb urb as an oh, urban yeah yeah so i started doing some work with them doing photography and doing some writing i had my own column about mixtapes um so all these djs Ooh. would send mixtapes to the herb office i would pick them up um and and review those um so that was that was interesting and i'll be honest it was very hard to you know, be to be at a Sunday brunch in Malibu for Granita after raving all night in the warehouses. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, very tough. Was there any overlap between the food uh, and music scene? I have to imagine 
working for Wolfgang and, and at that level of Spago and Granita, you're getting more of the celebrity musicians that you're seeing come to the restaurant. And yeah. Things like that. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I waited on um, Bruce Springsteen and, you know, all the big, I mean, in my days, I mostly was in the front of the house, by the way. So I started with the cooking. I realized that was, you know, very physical and hard work. And I saw, you know, at Spago, you know, all the beautiful people in the front and the suits and the, you know, the, the servers wearing these perfectly clean outfits. And I was like dripping in tomatoes. Sure, I'm like, sure. I think I want to do that instead. So I did gravitate to the front of the house and I waited tables and managed a lot. So I, and, you know, I was in LA, so I was working at really great places. So I've, you know, from, you know, Nancy Reagan to, you know, Billy Wilder to, you know, Johnny Carson, wow. you know, all these people, um, Schwarzenegger, you know, part of one of my longest jobs was at um, the Grill on the Alley in mm -hmm. Beverly Hills. And that was a major power lunch place. So that's where they would go with their Oscars. You know, the day after the Academy Awards, there'd be like five tables with with Oscars awards, you know, you know, on the tables. A little trick so, to turn that into a little bit of like a, a nice wine chiller, right? For a, a, exactly. a high end white. Um, was it that draw out of the back kitchen and into that more hospitality world that got you started thinking about life after working in restaurants? Because eventually you did leave the industry and you had a long career that, but eventually you said, I want out from this, this side of the business. What was the tipping point? It really wasn't my decision or my idea. So I had been working, you know, all levels of positions, so many different types of restaurants. You know, like I said, all these fine dining restaurants in LA. I did hotels, worked at San Francisco Hilton, El Encanto Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. I really, really did a lot, you know, and it was a great, it was a great run. And 20 years ago this year, because my my recruiting firm is celebrating 20 years. Uh, Congratulations. Joan Luther, who was a very highly respected old school PR person, a restaurant publicist, um, she became a friend of mine. She was a friend of the family. And, you know, she she tried to get me to work with her. And that wasn't really the right thing for me. And then at one point she said, Brad, you know, I, I get calls all the time for for staff. And, I, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but, you know, you you know, you, you work so many different positions. You, you went to school for sociology, you know, people you're so connected, you're so passionate you should do some recruiting. You know, I was like, what is that? She goes, well, there are recruiting firms that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, find employees for people. Um, and I thought about it for a few days and I said, yeah, you know, this could be really good. I've actually been helping servers and busboys get jobs for years. Mm -hmm. So I was basically doing it and just sort of networking around town. Sure. Oh, who needs someone here? Right. So I just up, up that to management level and started charging for it. And it snowballed. And I was doing it out of my son's bedroom for a year and it totally took off. Um, and I hired my first employee, Sarah Christopher, who was with me for 15 years and only left because she moved to Dallas. And we just sort of grew it, grew it from there. You know, um, I was in the grill when I when I decided that I could definitely like do this 100 percent and not work in restaurants anymore because I did both for a little while. I was uh, closing a deal. I actually closed a deal for Eric Klein, mm -hmm. who became a food and wine best new chef back in 2004. And he was at 
we placed him at an, as the exec chef at Maple Drive in Beverly Hills. And he went on to have like a three-star LA Times review, yep. my best new chef. Yep. And literally in between serving Cobb salads at the grill on the alley, closed that deal, made that placement. And I was like, okay, I think I can give up the the serving at the grill. <laughs> and I, uh, I was pretty friendly with Eric and, you know, actually went to Aspen for food and wine where they celebrated him for food and wine, best new chef. And that was sort of the launch right there. Amazing. Uh, all right. I want to take a quick musical break. And then when we get back, I want to talk about um, how you approach placing chefs, just in what you learned from being in restaurants all those years, the upcoming LA chef conference and uh, the reggae playlist that you made for oh. just snacky tunes and exclusive we have a song from the musical archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Brad Metzger, founder of BMRS Hospitality Recruitment and Placement and the LA Chef Conference. And right before the break, you're talking about shifting out of the kitchens and into recruitment. And I have to imagine that being in the kitchen and really understanding how it works, the business of it, personalities, knowing what it's like on hour 13 of a cooking shift, knowing that you got two to three more hours on the line and what other chefs might be like in that situation has got to give you some unique insights to when you're placing potential workers and chefs and runners with businesses. Um, and you've also seen how chefs and kitchens and the restaurant industry has changed over, especially over the last few years. How yeah. have all of those insights and your understanding of the industry really not only helped you grow, but in working to make the the whole restaurant landscape a better place to work? I mean, I think what was so valuable for me is having worked in so many different kinds of operations. Mm. You know, I worked at an ice cream shop. I did the catering. I worked in plenty of fine dining restaurants. I did the hotel thing, you know. And every operation is very unique, you know, and I think the first step, the first step in understanding who is going to fit into a job is understanding the job. Mm. You know, it's a two way street. You have to understand the job. Right. Then you have to match the right person with the job. So it really starts with understanding the job. So mm-hmm. when we're when we're talking to any owner or HR person, and getting information about the position to understand it so we know who to look for and how to communicate that position to candidates, right? We know the questions to ask. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like we mm-hmm. know even, even the private chef thing. I haven't done private chefing myself, but at this point in the game, we've done it 
we've we've placed so many private chefs we know what to ask we know to ask how many people are they cooking for what are their days off how is the shopping done are they doing the dishes right are they serving you know it's right, like right, right. Yeah. It really really you know what it's a business of details it's a business of pennies on the financial side sure. and it's a business of details on the other side so that translates to us too we have to know the details and we take the time that's one thing that separates us from others we take the time to understand what is going on with the position and the job. And a lot of times we'll take that time with an employer mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, it's not a fit for us. Okay. Mm. For example, for example, if an employer, especially now, if an employer starts talking about, Oh, we do a five, six, five, six day work week. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, we will not take a job. I, I, I've turned down so many job sure. opportunities to work on. If it's a five, six day work week, which is, which is horrible because obviously in this business, emergencies are going to happen, right? Someone's, a manager is going to get sick. Yeah, a, yeah. Sous, a sous chef is going to, you know, get pregnant or they're going to be off or more. there's a big party last minute and someone has to come in on their day off. If it's a six day work week and they're coming in their day off, boom, that's 13 days in a row. That's unacceptable. Yeah, that's unacceptable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's got to be a five day work week. And look, it happens. Sometimes there will be a six day. So conversely, on the chef side or the manager side, because we do front and back of the house, yeah. if a chef tells me or a, or a general manager, you know, I, I only will work five days a week. I will never work more. Then you know what? They should probably be a server or a bartender because you know what? As a manager, yeah, right, it goes you, both may, ways. Yeah. you may have to get called in, right? There may be a big party. There may be an important meeting. Someone's sick, Right. It's a again. It's a two way street, you know. So back to your original question, all of that experience comes to bear when we're looking at a, an employer and a candidate. But again, it's a two way street. It goes both ways. So in understanding front of the house, back of the house, the chefs, all these evolving trends, and and the way that you're looking to help influence the restaurant culture as a whole is that what gave you the idea for la chef conference or was there something else that triggered that idea and then what was the road of like taking that idea and turning it into reality great question um a bunch of things first of all me and my company we've always been super super involved in the community okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that just comes natural to me so, for example, the Western Food Expo was a big like, oh, um, sure. Sure. yeah, so we hosted the cooking competitions there for years, right? Um, Taste of the Nation, a great, great food and wine event in Culver City for one. many years. Oh, yeah. So we hosted the waiters races there for years, you know, where the waiters are running <laughs> yeah, back and yeah, forth yeah. with the trays and glasses yeah. are crashing all over the place. That was so much fun. Yeah. Um, so we've always done that. You know, we've hosted like opening parties at restaurants. We did a chef art show at the opening of um, Superba Food and Bread in Hollywood when they opened. So we've always been involved in the community. And then actually the LA Times Food Bowl was starting up back in, I think, 18, you know? Yeah, yes. And I was, you know, they were, they were just starting to publish all their, all their events for that. And I was looking through it and I remember the day because I was at the farmer's market on Sunday. I go there every time, every, every week here in Santa Monica on Main Street, drinking my chai latte and I was looking at it and I was like, there's nothing industry specific. It's all for consumers, you know? 
and I was friends with Amy Scattergood at the time for the LA, LA Times. I said, and I that moment I emailed her and said, Amy, you know, this this lineup looks incredible, but what about like a like a chef conference? You know, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll put it together and it can be part of the food bowl. She's like, great idea, do it. You know, <laughs> so I just ran with it and they helped publicize it. And that was our first year in 2018. Um, but I had been to like the Chefs Congress as mm-hmm. part of Star Chefs mm-hmm. in New York. I've been to um, Aspen Food and Wine for the American Express Trade Program, um, been to some other events. We did not have anything like that, you know, mm-hmm. nothing like mm-hmm. it at all in, in L.A. or even Southern California. So I just felt, you know what, it's time to do something really cool for the for the community, bring everyone together. Amazing food. But that's a big part of the L.A. Chef Conference and, you know, important topics of conversation that affect the industry and also, it's a way to like showcase emerging talent too, you know, because yes. we have we have those you know emerging talent type people on panels and they're cooking. Um, so yeah, just um, why not? You know, we started small. Actually, that one was like um, only for 100 people, 120 people, and then 2019 we grew it up to like 500 people, and you know then we had 2020 scheduled but had to cancel that. So then we did 2023, and now we're getting ready for October 30th. So this will be the fourth iteration correct, of it. And obviously the L.A. dining scene and the dining scene as a whole has gone through so many changes and things like that. And um, I think there's been a lot of examination of the culture and I think a lot of just what it means to even be a chef and how you define a restaurant. And I'm actually – happy that that definition is loosened up a little bit where it's not like you have to do it this way because in so many ways it's it's a broken model like you're asking a chef to dedicate their name sometimes and their their cooking to a business that isn't going to work um what are the things that you want to highlight and the topics you're going to focus on this conference with all the changes between last year and the years before it and and what's the yeah i mean now that's that's interesting because w- what you were just saying, one of our panels is actually breaking boundaries, finding mm-hmm. success beyond the four walls. And it talks about, you know, what can you do to, to you know, push your brand, push yeah. yourself, have a business without being in the four walls of a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, we have Jen Harris moderating that one. We have Tim Hollingsworth, Brisha Shout Lopez, out. Shout out to Josh, all them. Josh Sharkey, Benjamin Udave. They're on that panel. Um one of the ones I'm really looking forward to is the evolution of food journalism with Ruth Reichel, Bill Addison, and Leslie Souter. Is Bill going to wear a mask? He, we have a costume designer going to his house in the morning and is going to dress him up, and he will show up and plop himself down right next to Ruth Reichel. I don't how even much, think. Yeah, how much is he going to look like Orville Peck? I don't. No one knows what he's going to do, so I don't. I won't even know. He's just going to sit up there and be like, okay, are you Bill Addison? I mean, it's good <laughs> timing. Start. I mean, what, Halloween's like right, right around then. I was hoping he would dress up as like, you know, one of Ruth Reichel's old costumes when she was the, the New York Times oh my food God. critic. But That'd be so meta. Yeah. I think he's going to do the facial hair thing. So, Oh, know. great. Great, 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 great. Well, I mean, with uh, Hollywood coming back from strike, I'm sure there'll be some great makeup and customers willing to do work. We also have a mentorship panel um, hosted by Pellegrino with Andrew Friedman as a moderator who actually will be doing um, book signing for his new book, The Dish. Shout at the out, conference. Andrew. Yep. 
Andrew's the man. And that will be a conversation about mentorship with Gavin Kaysen and Travis Weikard. Amazing. Um, yeah. And you're also benefiting and working with ReHer, which is yes. an organization that we love. And I'd love to hear about your partnership and that how developed and, and how that's going to uh, come to fruition. Yeah. Um, so regarding her is an incredible organization and they, they were born during the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. And it supports, um, female entrepreneurs in the hospitality industry and they do really great things. Um, and we are benefiting them with 15% of ticket sales going Mm -hmm. to them as well as a $5,000, um, donation from Lowry's our benefactor sponsor and then they are curating a panel. It's called Don't 86 the Kids, Reimagining How to Balance Family and a Restaurant Career mm. um, with some really great chefs and, and uh, you know, people on that panel. And also we're just including many of the Regarding Her members and founders in panels and cooking. Um, Mary Sue Milliken and Sarah Stegner are going to be doing an amazing lamb dish um, mm. in our meat, meat kitchen. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I love about the conference and getting everyone together is obviously the panels are great, but it's all the atmosphere and the vibe in between the different panels and people hanging out. And I know that you're very good at curating vibes because of the playlist you sent us, which is this like incredible reggae playlist that you created just for us. So what could people expect, I guess, in between the panels, what can people expect from the after party? And will you be DJing any of this reggae music? We will be playing party. some reggae music. I I was very tempted to bring in my favorite L.A. reggae band, Arise Roots. Yeah. Kareem Israel was ready to do it, but it just will not work at the location. Mm. However, um, yes, here's the deal. We have four hours of panel programming. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's four different sessions across three rooms. So there's concurrent sessions across three rooms Mm -hmm. um, at the same time. So if you're an attendee at 10 in the morning, you basically have to choose between three sessions going on at the same time. Um, And then we have two hours of lunch and two hours out of after party. So there's as much eating as there is panel content. I mean, that's a perfect balance right there. Perfect balance. Right. Yeah. And then, um, well, yeah. So other than the panels, we have breaks. Um, we have a networking room. We have um, Cho Chocolate will be in there serving different mm. things all day. We have a cheese store at Beverly Hills. We have Newport Meat doing some amazing charcuterie. So we have bites in our networking room. Okay. And then for our lunch, it's basically a food festival, the LA Chef, Chef Con Food Festival. And this location that we're at, which we haven't discussed and we definitely need to, is the LA Trade Tech um, culinary arts pathway mm-hmm. in downtown LA. Mm-hmm. And this is an incredible facility, incredible program. Um, they built a brand new, um, culinary arts building a couple years ago. And I'm telling you, it looks like Cornell. I mean, it is the most amazing facility. There are five stainless steel gleaming, massive teaching kitchens. So mm. we are, we are taking over all five kitchens for this two hour f- food festival lunch. We have one, which is the Think Culinary Lab with eight different stations of incredible Wagyu beef and lamb. They have this mm-hmm. new lamb that's that's come from Australia through Think Culinary called Gung, um, Gundagai Lamb. 
and it's I've had it. It's amazing. Mm. We have Jet Jetilla in there, Burt Backman. Oh yeah. Like I said, Mary Sue Milliken, Benjamin Udave. That's just one kitchen. Then we have <laughs> two sustainable seafood kitchens. Okay. Wow. With one is going to be a, like a raw bar with yeah. Brian Bornman from Crudo Inudo, uh, John yeah. John Yao doing something with shrimp and Astria caviar. We have um, Kevin Meehan, one star Michelin, doing something with um, Mount Lass and Trout. Okay. And those are those two kitchens. Then our fourth is a worldwide produce kitchen where we have some amazing chefs like Monty Kuladrovic and Richard Rea, Michael Reed, Luigi Fineo doing dishes. And Luigi is going to do a pasta, vegetarian pasta mm-hmm. with truffles shaved over the top for 550 attendees. I mean, tis the season. Then the last kitchen is the Porto's kitchen. We have Porto's Bakery Cafe. And they're taking over the biggest kitchen, and they're going to do savory and pastry. They're going to have an amazing, massive spread. So I really like the idea of combining, like, the Michelin truffle thing and also, you know, Porto's, which is a fucking institution in L.A. You know, I was there the other month and had their, I want to say, breakfast burrito sandwich and it was it blew my mind it was like roast pork and eggs oh yeah okay so if people want to come to the festival and hang out and and catch some of the you know the panels and some of your reggae vibes as well (laughs) uh tickets where can they follow where can they go where can they get passes website www.lachefconference.com all the info, the whole program, all the ticketing info, it's all there. Amazing. Now, before we leave, I do uh, want to take just a few few moments to talk about this playlist you made for us. Um, it's a fantastic, really fun, great end of summer uh, reggae playlist. What's the inspiration behind it? And where did your love of reggae come from? I mean, like I was saying before, you know, I just I fell in love with reggae music when I was very young, probably like 11, 12 years old. And I just felt felt it, you know, I totally felt it. And I became really interested in it. And I just, you know, started going to shows, you know, as early as, thir- you know, 13, 14 years old, just started learning more about it and, you know, listening and listening. And back then it was mostly the Jamaican artists. Mm-hmm. Um, California reggae was not as big as it is now. And now it's absolutely massive. It's exploded over the last many years. Um so yeah, I just became super interested in it, and I, um, you know, got into the writing back in um, in college, and then I sort of kept that on as a hobby. So even you know, I was while I was doing my you know restaurant stuff in my early career, I kept you know being involved with that. I was asked to um, compile uh, for Billboard magazine; they were doing a special reggae issue, mm-hmm. and uh, I was friendly with the person who was putting that together. And she said, Brad, why don't you oversee all the photos? Because you're, you, you know, you know a lot of the good photographers. So I coordinated with some some awesome, you know, reggae photographers to get, um, you know, great shots of the artists that they wanted to feature. Ooh, you know, cool. so that yeah. was really fun. Yeah, and I worked for, um, I wrote for Reggae Report International and The Beat, and then in the height of my career, and especially after I had my son twenty two years ago. I did stop for a little while. And then as he's been older, I had a little bit more extra time. And that's when I picked it back up and started writing again for reggaeville.com, which is based in Germany, but it's a highly respected, um, probably the most respected online reggae magazine. 
And um, that's my reggae thing. Amazing. Well, Brad, congratulations on everything. We're excited to see you at the festival. Um, and thank you for the playlist. It's definitely going to be, uh, it's going to help with uh, next time we're out bopping around and going for a long ride. It'll definitely be on the stereo. Um, and October 30th is the LA Chef Conference for everyone who wants to go. So thank you so much, Brad. And it's glad to finally have you on the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'll see you. I'll see you at the conference. Yes, uh, we have another song from the archives, and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Want to welcome to the studio, Bad Girlfriends. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Um, one of the few bands that actually agrees to eat pizza beforehand, but I feel like you look like you're <laughs> definitely up for it. Um, I mean, it's a cold winter day. I mean, I would, I'm trying to eat and drink coffee like all the time in this winter. Uh, th- thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Do you want to go around the room and just announce, say who you are? Sure. I'm Savannah King. I'm the bass player. Lila Vander, drummer. <laughs> Christian Owens, guitar player. Hi, I'm Brianna, and I play guitar, too. Uh, a lot of bands claim that they're based in friendship, but it actually seems like you four are really tight. Uh, is that true? All friends? And how did you all meet? Uh, <laughs> well, we, kinda, we decided to start the band because um, we were friends and we wanted friends to be in the band. So, um, And it really had no basis on playability or 
you know, anything like that. Playability. <laughs> so what you're trying to say is you didn't have to know how to play an instrument to join the band. Exactly. No. Not, no. At, all. Not at all. I barely knew how to play guitar. Christian and I had played in and uh, before together in bands, but I just played tambourine. And I played bass in that band. I had never played guitar in a band before, so it was kind of like a new world for me a little bit. And as as that, which is like obviously like the total idea of like a punk rock DIY starting, like how do you learn as a band and just kind of acknowledge the fact that like this will get better, but we're still <laughs> gonna go play shows and uh, be a band. Well, um, the way that we made it work is we booked a show before we... Me and Brianna had been kind of um, playing around and... Farting around. Yeah, farting around in my living room and, like, trying to learn how to use Pro Tools and just this and that. So um, we'd come up with kind of, like, a small... Very, maybe two, one or two, two or three songs a little bit. Um but we just booked a show before we really had any songs and definitely didn't have a band. How was the show? It was good. Poor <laughs> Savannah had never played anything. 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 Yeah. And I have um, two hold on, hold, hold on. Like, hadn't played any songs or any instruments? Instruments. Instruments. Ever. And they pulled me in and, like, tricked me into joining the band two days before the first show, and I was like, all right, I, I don't even think, try it out. <laughs> I don't think tricked is the right word. I think bullied. Bullied. We bullied her into it. What were your scare tactics? Um, well. Well, it was actually um, my best friend, Paula Merritt. She used some reverse psychology on me and was like, you're so shy. You'd never do this, but we really need your help. And I was like, well, but, I mean, I, I but, okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, she was our first drummer, um, but she uh, bullied, bullied you into it. She bullied me into it. hundred percent. Wait, how'd you get rid of her? Or where'd she go? <laughs> she moved to California. She's like a mom now, lives in L.A., married. Mm-hmm. And then we found Lila. Mm-hmm. And what, how did they coerce you into this band? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Lila. Literally everyone just turned red. No one could no. see this radio, but everyone just turned red. No, no. <laughs> it was, I, sh- I totally shanghaied the situation. Basically... This girl, this um, person that me and Lila both kind of knew, but not really, was basically like, I want to start jamming. Well, Bad Girlfriend had been looking for a drummer when our original drummer left, and we had a really, really, really hard time finding someone because we really wanted it to be like a friend situation. So anyway, this girl was like, hey, I met this really amazing drummer, this girl named Lila. She's really pretty and really cool and has a great voice and a fabulous drummer and she's playing with all these dudes. Um, And so literally like a red flag went up and I was like, ooh, a good drummer that's a chick, you know? your first thing is like, wow, she can actually play an instrument. That sounds like that sounds like overqualified for the original. At this point, they were all really good. They've been playing for all. Savannah is now like a kick-ass bass player. I just want to yeah, out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but this girl was like, um, so yeah, um, do you want to play guitar with us? I was thinking of like jamming somewhere and I was like, oh, well, how's my practice bass on Wednesday night? (laughs) She stole her. She stole yeah. her from this. Girl. She like stole the girl us. left the room, and she was like, "Hey, I'm in this band." Wait, is this wanna... where the name "Bad Girlfriends" come from? <laughs> no, that's that a different story. That, comes from a different story. that was a joke. I know your origin story. <laughs> that was an inside joke for all the bad girlfriend <laughs> friends listening. Um, why don't we get a song uh, going? <laughs> Can I chorus you? Play a song. Enough yapping. Enough yapping. <laughs> What's this one called? 
Which one are we doing first? Um. Over the seas. Is that what you want to do? Yeah. Let's do over. Yeah, let's do over the seas. Are you ready?
Great. You would never know that Great. none of you knew how to. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's a one man cheering section in here. It's like I have still not figured out after all these episodes how to like say like I really enjoyed that or apl- nothing sadder than like one person clapping. It's just a terrible. Ter- there it is. There it is. That's if there were more of me, that's what I could do. Anyway, that was awesome. Um, so you all are from like all over the country: Deep South, California, Texas, New York, girl. Uh, what does that mean for culinary adventures on the road? Ooh. Well, we all all have pretty much completely different palates. That's for sure. That's not true. You and I like a little bit of spice. Well, yeah, yeah me and you are really okay. Yeah, spicy. except for Savannah is like, well, not <laughs> be having dying. no spice and, and no condiments. Yeah. No condiments. No like, condiments for Vanny. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I'll what, what bring if, all the the sauces for me. I'll, I'll, I'm up for it. So, what do you normally eat when on the road, or do you cook for each other? Do we cook Sometimes. for each other? Oh uh, like, yeah, Mexican food. Amazing cook. Lila's really she's on breakfast. She's on breakfast. Brianna makes great tacos. Brianna's on the Mexican Mexican food. food. I make the margaritas. Uh, Oh yeah. Hey, you you need a good drinks person. That's just as important. Bass player. Mm -hmm. And you? Um, She makes good soup. uh, Oh yeah, make really good soup and. um, What's what's your favorite soup she makes for you? She makes this amazing. It's like miso, spicy miso. Vegetables. Yeah, it's like veg- vegetable madness soup. It's so good. It's really awesome. good. It's really just, good. Just like dumps a ton of hot sauce and miso soup, and then and like, like every vegetable <laughs> that's available it's at amazing. the grocery store. So or it's like garbage sink miso soup. It's basically spicy, garbage hot, soup. But, but with healthy you. You vegetables. And like, what do you make for breakfast? Oh, um, sometimes frittatas. <laughs> you know, get some potatoes. She's really good at scrambled eggs. I like to cook too, but it's all kind of like, you know, on the fly. Do you cook it up as you go? Do you cook for the people you stay with when you're on the road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, we did. We all made breakfast for um, our friends uh, Justin and Darby that let us record at their house upstate. That was like our thank you. Mm -hmm. I feel like we did. We cook? No, we went out for Mexican. Oh yeah. We're all really big fans of going out to eat, though. Oh, I mean, uh, you do live in New York. Yeah. So, I mean, this is all actually just trick questions you should have just said. <laughs> we don't cook. We like to cook. We don't really cook that your- we, we do cook. Actually, I feel like for a van, we cook more than most people I know. Wait, Savannah, right? I have to ask, like, what do you like to eat? <laughs> you can be weird about it. It's fine. <laughs> well, I'm a vegetarian, but I still eat fish because my brother was a sushi chef, so I could never... I know that. I could never give that up because of him. Oh, okay. Where's your favorite vegetarian spot in uh, in Brooklyn? Um, well, I really like Mogador, and I go that to place Rashford. is so good. Yeah, I'm so happy we got that. Here. I know it's dreams just, do come true. I mean, so many people talked about it. I was like, it can't be that good, and it really is. It's actually better. I feel like than yeah. the one in the city, don't you? Uh, I only had the city like one or two times, but oh, really? I mean, I didn't. Yeah, you I don't know how. I, I don't know how it could be better than this one. If that's the it's correct one, that's yeah. pretty good. Mm-hmm. And you said radish. Radish is great on oh, Bedford. Yeah. All's well is really great. All's well, yeah. Well, and also Sweetwater is amazing, and they always will make me something special. Sweetwater, the like, the lamb burger on the English muffin joint. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> which it's known for, not for vegetarian. Yeah. Well, that's but, the thing is oh that they always yeah. make me something special. Oh. 
for that palette of yours. Yeah. Okay. With no condiments. We'll give you an English muffin. We have a lot of them. But no butter. It's no like jam. Yeah, it's like for sixth graders. Will you do caramelized onions now? Because I think there's caramelized onions on I'm that okay jam. With that. I'm okay with that. Okay. Those are just like sweet. There's not really like a strong taste one way or the other to those things. Yeah. True. Yeah. Which is what makes them yeah. nice here. Uh, why don't we get another song? Okay. okay. What are you going to play? Um, this is an Aldi. It's called Mexico. Yeah. It's cold outside, but we want you to pretend uh, that you're on the beach somewhere with us. Are <laughs> <laughs> right, ready? So good. Did they play a sound effect? They did. Yeah, I can't hear it. Then you have the headphones. So <laughs> um, that was great. Why is that? What what one is that off of? You said it's an oldie. That's off our first EP. 
Oh, I love that you have your EP that you can get just get for free in your Bandcamp page. Yeah. I really think that like that's kind of the way to go. I know it's like most musicians like I need to get paid, but like you're really gonna get paid on your shows, merch, mm-hmm. tours, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Was it a group decision just to kind of go that free music route, or? Yeah, well, I feel like also if you're new, there's like no reason for you to be like pay to listen to the shit that you've never heard before. I feel right. like it's good to like give people something to get to know you by. Yeah, right. but now we're working on our full-length album. Oh, really? Currently. Yes. Currently. That you'll have to pay for. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Maybe we'll do a little teaser. Maybe like a 24-hour free stream. You never know. What's the uh, process of working on your new LP? Wow. Well, we wow. actually have a guest today. Yeah, we're with this guy in the room, Aaron Thank you, sir. A.K.A. Rewards. Uh, which is how I found out about you, the four of you, was through Aaron. So. Yeah, he has been with us every step of the way, and he's um, producing the record, and um, we also got our buddy Benjamin Curtis from School of Seven Bells involved, and he's producing it with Aaron here and there, and it's just... Um, dream team. Dream team. It's, it's been great. Does he get breakfast cooked for him? Not yet. We're yeah. Oh, we yeah. Hey, we owe you a big dinner. Hey, bad girlfriends. Am I right? <laughs> am I right? Oh. Uh, so when when is this thing going to be finished, or is it like are we in the middle of it, or the beginning? We're in the second half, yeah. but we still have a lot to do. Probably We've done spring. Yeah, but hopefully we'll be done by February. By the I mean by the end of February. <laughs> right. Uh, so do you have any shows coming about coming up in Brooklyn? We don't at the moment because we're just trying to spend all of our time because um, we're we're flying solo right now. We're just making it ourselves with our friends, and um, we don't have like a label or, you know, we're paying it for paying for it, you know, and working all on our own right now at this point. So, no shows because we're just focusing on this record, which is good. Yeah, that's a good approach. Um, all right. Well, thank you for joining us. I want to make sure we get one more song in here. What are the nuts and bolts? Where can people find you, get your free EPs, follow you? Oh, well, you can listen to the uh, EP and download it on our Bandcamp page. <laughs> did you just go? <laughs> yeah. Radio did you, did you, you just go NPR on us? No, <laughs> you know what? Listen, I'm getting over a cold, so okay. I'm a little throatier. <laughs> It's also my sex phone operator voice. I'm sure some of my fans uh, uh, from my work recognize me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you can go to our Bandcamp page, Bad Girlfriend Band, Bandcamp, download No, just badgirlfriend.bandcamp. And then our website is badgirlfriendband.com. Anyway, someone else will take it away. Um, all right, well, thank you so much. Thank you to uh, Alex Dupac. And uh, to Aaron, a.k.a. Rewards, for bringing you girls in here. You can hear some of Rewards live on the Snacky Tunes Live Comp Volume 3, which you can get on the Heritage Radio Network SoundCloud page. Uh, thanks for listening. Shout out again to Darren. And we'll be back with next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. What are you going to take us out with? Uh, True Blue. This is a new one.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.